Mia, appreciate that. Appreciate the announcements and uh, the fact that we actually get to start doing stuff again. And just to be clear, Kyle and I don't need you to read our thoughts during the week. In fact, that thing's probably never, hardly ever updated. Uh, so you might be disappointed if you're like, wait, they're going to post on it every week? Uh, there are seasons. There are seasons things get posted on there. Uh, but it's not regular, even if we want it to be. Anyways, uh, we are glad you are here. We are glad to see faces. Uh, as Mia said, that it is an interesting thing to see faces again and not just eyeballs. Um, and we are glad to be able to have events and to uh, push into community. And that's really like, if there's a prayer or a theme for this summer um, from leadership and from Kyle and myself, it is just that, like, that we could be around each other again, uh, in community again. And that's a big word that gets thrown around all the time. But we really do hope that like, we can be present with one another, be around one another, uh, to be able to talk, commune, all of those things. And so we hope that you will... Uh, we do not expect anyone to be at all of the things that are going on. We are throwing a really wide net, hoping that you'll be able to find your way into some of these things. And there'll be more uh, kind of like... Uh, low-key stuff that happens throughout the summer as well that'll be really great for people to get connected or involved that have maybe been watching online over the last year um, and, and haven't been a, had a chance to really meet folks or some of the people that started coming right before the pandemic and then basically went a year in the church without knowing more than a small group of people. So we're excited about that. As Mia said, we're going to continue in our series this morning in 1 Corinthians and this uh, idea for this series, Kyle shared a little bit of this last week, started uh, probably back in February, time around there, where we were just praying and talking, and Kyle was spending some time in his like, personal devotion, reading through some of these New Testament letters, um, and simultaneously I came to him, and I was like, Kyle, I feel like we're in like a Corinthian moment in a lot of ways. There's this thing that's happening in the church, that's happening in our church, that's happening culturally, where we're going like, hey, there, there's this thing that we're, we're sharing a lot of similarities, though that they may be ancient, and this uh, happened thousands of years ago, and there's a cultural difference, of course, there, and some of the divide that we have to jump across, but th there was something very similar to what was going on. Now, I say all that to say that I think some of my initial inclinations, having a uh, studied this somewhat before but like kind of jumping to some conclusions that as I've read it more I think that we still are and I think that we're there in a different kind of way though uh, you read about Corinthians and Kyle again talked about this last week and I'm trying not to do the thing that Anna tells me that I do which is when I preach the second sermon in a series I re-intro it a second time and she's like you just have to say it in your own words don't you and I'm like babe You've loved me for a long time. You know that, that, yes, I do. But I'm trying really hard. I'm going somewhere with this that's uh, located in our passage this morning. What has happened was, is that I thought in this passage, that there, or in this book, like I, you see it and you get it and you sense that there's this like tension going on. There's these like, you would almost maybe call them like warring factors or parties that are, are happening. Because here's the thing about Corinthians or Corinth is that like this, one of the commentaries that I'm reading for this uh, sermon series, he, he calls it New York City, Las Vegas, and uh, L.A. all at the same time. Like it is a cultural hub. It is a, like people, a lot of transient people end up there, a lot of people there for a small amount of time. Tons of people in and out. Like 
So Corinthians is mostly a letter written to Gentiles, but there are Jewish people there. There are references to temples and to Jewish practice and to worship. And so like, there had been people that had made it all the way from Jerusalem to here in Corinth. Like, that's a very far distance in ancient Near Eastern times, first century Judaism. Like, that wasn't just like around the corner. It wasn't like to Atlanta, you know? Maybe a little further than that. And so it took some time to get there. So people were like trans, uh, transiently going this way. And so there was a lot of culture. There was a lot of thought. There was a lot of business. It was a port city, so people were in and out for travel for business. But then also like there were hubs, you know, like headquarters in Corinth. And so there were lots of people, lots of ideas, lots of uh, thoughts and old ways of doing things. And they find themselves in a Christian congregation together. They find themselves uh, being called and tasked with the very thing that we ourselves are called and tasked with, which is finding unity with a group of people that even if they may look like you, the reality of it is, is a lot of times they have a much different upbringing, a much different way of seeing the world. Even if they vote the same as you, there are still ways in which we just see the world differently because of who we are and where we come from. Mosaic, honestly, is a church of uh, a lot of... Uh, transport or yeah transports that's the word I'm looking for sure we'll go with it uh, that are not originally from Birmingham Transplant. transplants that's the word that's why Kyle laughed when I said it thank you thank you Daniel uh, we end up here by the way of somewhere else and then there are some people that have lived there lived here their whole lives you know and so like we, we, we find ourselves in this like kind of mixed bag of people we call ourselves interdenominational at mosaic meaning that we understand some of you were raised baptist catholic episcopal methodist uh, non-denominational charismatic pentecostal assemblies of god like there are people from all over the map that find themselves worshiping here and what we want to say is like in that through that Bring that with you. Bring your history, your culture, the ways you see Jesus, because we need that. And that's not to say that denominations are bad or, or that finding your own place in this is bad. It's just to say that even if you end up in a different denomination, bring your upbringing, bring that initial encounter of Jesus with you. And so this is what they were tasked with. And so I thought perfectly, right? Like, I'm so smart, I'm so wise, the church is divided, we've got this multicultural people, and we're going to preach this like whole sermon series on how we're going to be moderates, and we're going to bridge the gap, and we're going to be this group of people that have all these different parties, and we're going to find the Lord and all of this, and we're going to be able to like tie everyone together. And then I start to read it, and there really doesn't seem to be any beef in the Corinthian people. There's not really a beef going on within the people of Corinth themselves. The beef seems to exist between Paul and the Corinthian church. So this hodgepodge group of people seem to be getting along really well. And I was like, well, that kind of misses what I thought we were originally doing. And then I felt like the Lord was like, no, 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 this is better for you. This is, this is, you're in more of a Corinthian moment than you realize yourself. Because see, here's what's like, I think, actually happening. Is that this group of people were connected together, though different as they may be. As they were commuting together, as they were becoming the Christian church of Corinth. What was happening is that they were still bringing a whole lot of Corinth with them into the church. And that's Paul's critique. And so the entire letter of 1 Corinthians is basically Paul's surgical attempt to try to remove the mass of Corinth from them 
and to keep the patient alive, if you will. It's a surgical thing that is happening from Paul. And what he's saying is, you cannot any longer be these Corinthian people. You are now first and foremost Christian people. And we get right at this at the very beginning of the letter because what we see is that they're really upset with Paul that he is not teaching them the wise ways that they expect him to. He comes and immediately, as Kyle talked about last week, he establishes himself as a preacher through Christ. And he's saying, like, we're going to do all things centered around that, the cross. And he just puts the foolishness and the centrality of that foolishness of the cross at the dead center of who they are supposed to be. This is their way. This is, this is the only way for them to function if they are going to follow after Jesus. And what we can tell as we continue to read through Corinthians, especially in chapter 3, there's this idea that they're accusing Paul of not giving them the good stuff. They, they want like all this other stuff. And, and the, the accusation appears to be that they wanted meat, right? And Paul's only giving them milk. And so they start to kind of dog on Paul. Like, hey man, you're not a very good teacher. You're not helping us progress. You're not getting us further along the way because... You're not really giving us what we need and what we want. And Paul's response to them is, I will give that to you when you're ready. But you're not ready for it because you are still too caught up in living in the way of the culture around you. You've missed what it means to be a Christian. You've missed this holy, transformative way of being once you make it your joy and pleasure to call upon the saving name of Jesus. And so they're caught up in this other way of living still, this other way of thinking, and he wants to begin to root it out of them. And so we see, leading up to our passage, is Paul's doubling down on the center of everything being Christ and Christ crucified. Scandalous in this culture. We're not far enough removed from the crucifixion of Jesus that this has become like a status symbol where we stand it in the corner. This symbol right here was highly, highly offensive. Like this would be like, I don't know, what's something terribly offensive at a dinner party if you start talking about dead pets in the road or something. Like something that's just like, why would you talk about that? Like that's totally inappropriate. The fact that Paul would come to a group of people and want to talk about the cross, like no good, not even a good like Gentile, like no good Jew, nobody, nobody would talk about those things. The cross was not in people's vocabulary or vernacular because it was, it was embarrassing. Like money and politics in the South or something. Like, just don't bring it up, okay? Just don't, don't broach it. Just leave it over there. We all know it exists, but we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. But he's saying, no, 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 no. That's the very thing that we can never stop talking about. And so he says that that's what I'm going to preach. And he's essentially, essentially acknowledging their critique. He's like, yes, you're right. That is foolish. That is not smart. It is not wise to talk about that. It is not what is going to get mass people and culture to just be like, oh yeah, of course we'll go join that crazy group of people. When, he's, when they're saying to him, Paul, like, you're, you're, not, you're not doing the thing that like, would get a bunch of people to come and be a part of this. He's going, yeah, I know. 
I know I'm not, but I can't not do this thing. I can't not do the cross. I have to. I have to preach it. I have to center my whole life on it. I have to double down on this thing. I've talked about this before in terms of how we deal with some of the more difficult passages in Scripture. When we talked on Jonah, I made a big deal out about the fact that like, we just want to talk about the whale, but it's really not about the whale at all, but like, that's what our minds go to. I think we do the same thing. Uh, we're guilty of the same thing that the church of Corinthians, of Corinth, is, is guilty of. We begin to demand that we want more. We want more action. We need to be a church of action. We need to be a church that moves, that's propelled, that's doing things. We, like, we get caught up in all these other things that we need to be doing because we don't want to actually deal with the thing that God is calling us to, which is for us to climb up on that cross with Him. We're scandalized by what culture tells us we need to be scandalized by. We're offended by what Twitter tells us we need to be offended by. Instead of actually staring the cross down and dealing with the fact that that's the thing that is offensive. That's the thing that is hard. And so we accuse teachers and preachers and other people in our lives of doing these things where we're like, hey, like, don't you think you could talk about something else every once in a while? Like, we've got to talk about all these other things. And in the words of Paul, and in my own words, I would say the same thing. We absolutely have to talk about those things. And we will talk about those things. And we as a church at Mosaic will talk about a whole bunch of stuff that culture wants to talk about. We're going to address them. And we're going to address them unashamedly. But we're not going to do so without the cross being at the center of it first. Kyle and I use this analogy a lot of like, I'm guilty of this. And I think a lot of us are. We want to start painting walls and decorating rooms when we haven't even fixed the electrical and the plumbing yet. Like, we're going to have to rip all of that out before we put new paint on the walls. And I think that this is what the people of Corinth are trying to do with Paul. They're like, hey, let us do the fun, cool stuff. And Paul's like, yeah, 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 we will. But first, we have to get this idea of the cross, our foundation, shored up. There's no good to remodel a house. There's a house on my street right now being completely remodeled. And I'm like, I pity the fool that buys that thing. Because they're just like surface remodeling it. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Like they're painting windows in the outside, but they didn't actually fix the roof or the siding. Like it's going to be no good when you get in, but it's going to look really cool in pictures. But it's going to be a travesty for whoever buys that and tries to live in it for more than three years. Paul's saying this to the people of God. He's saying, look, we're going to do the cool things. We're going to fix the things up. We're going to get to those conversations. There is wisdom and maturity that is offered in the gospel of Jesus. But we have to be centered on Christ first and foremost before we get to those things. Our lives have to be oriented around that before we can deal with X, Y, Z. So he goes on to articulate this, that yes, there is a wise message in the gospel. There is maturity in the gospel, but you never graduate from the cross at the same time. You must stay there as you begin to branch out into these other things and these other ideas. There's a challenge in that. I think of some of the things that we've dealt with in the last year and the temptation, right? To think about some of the difficulties in the conversations around race and civil rights and the injustices that do absolutely still exist in our city and in our country, state, nation, go down the list. 
And there's this thing where like Twitter would tell you that like you shouldn't pray about it because that's not action. But we as a community and church would say, no, no, that there's prayer and action, that it is both. Like we can never graduate from what the Lord's calling us to. We always have to be centered in God. Like that you've got to fix these problems through the cross. Like it is, the cross is always going to be the answer. Jesus is always going to be the answer. Now there are different contextualized and cultural ways in which we apply that, right? But we never graduate from it. We never move past it. And these are small little ways in our own culture and in our own time that I think we can begin to pick apart and like sort of nitpick the church, deconstruct it, move it past because we're relying on a worldly way of wisdom. We're, we're, we're being told by people outside of the faith, of the, like the context of Christianity, how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to move, how we're supposed to function and act. And I've got a whole host of things that I could critique on the right-hand side of things as well. Most of us, I think, here, knowing all of you, lean a little bit probably the other way. And so we've got to remember that it's about Scripture. It's about being founded in Christ. Being rooted in that first and foremost before we address these other things. I want to unpack a few things from our passage real quickly. Just that I think can maybe trip us up in a, in a few verses like this. Uh, one is that Paul, when he's talking about uh, the gospel or the message that he brings being foolishness, that it, that it wasn't wise or he didn't come with eloquence and all of these other things. Let's first of all remember that Paul is a very intelligent human being. In other places in the New Testament, he boasts about all of the things that he is and can do and has done. And we understand from those in cultural context that that means that he would be an intelligent person. We have the story in Acts 17, Mars Hill, the Aragopagus. This is where the wise leaders of the city would have come and debated things. And there were some there that said, we want to hear more about this. There were conversions in that moment because Paul was able to step into those intellectual spaces and conversations and have those debates. And he was able to speak their language and to do things their way. So he was well-read if that, you know, like whatever that looked like back then. He was well-versed in the conversations of the day. And he was able to speak to them. So he's not preaching or, or talking about an anti-intellectualism here that I think the church can sometimes be caught up in. He's not talking about lacking education or, or telling you that, you, hey, you don't need to study or worry about those things. You just need to pray more. That's not what Paul is talking about here. I don't think that he is advocating that we would sort of just like ignore culture and, and what's happening out there. And we don't want to do that as a, a church either. What he's saying is that you have to first be rooted in the love of Christ. That love has to be preeminent and sort of reign over all of the ways that we approach this. And if you do not live centered in the cross of Jesus, then you will not be able to extend into these conversations and into these spaces with an attitude and posture of love above all else. And instead, you will end up in these conversations and in these moments warring against one another. But approach them with love. I think the other thing that he is not advocating for here and the big uh, theological or academic word for it is Gnosticism, which is just a way of saying he is not advocating that there is some special hidden secret knowledge 
that only a select group of people get to have access to. And if you just ascend up the intellectual ladder high enough that then you'll kind of get the insight and then life will just make sense to you. In that same vein, I do not think he is advocating here that there is a select group of people that the Spirit of God has given to and everybody else is just kind of out of luck. I don't think he is advocating that there is a a select group of people that get to have access to the Father and to this way of living and everybody else is just doomed. In fact, like in our passage itself, he addresses them both at the same time as those that are not living to the way of Jesus and are also filled with the Spirit. He says, we have been given. We know. We have seen. And what he's addressing in them is that this Spirit, this way of living, this way of being is available to all of humanity. Scripture will tell us that all of creation cries out to who God is. The Spirit is in and around all of us at all times. We're all born and given the very image of God, the imprint of His being and His nature. Every person. And what Paul seems to be saying is that there is some way in which we can sort of not live in line with that, even if it is available to us. And He's calling us, and He's pleading with us, and He's contending with us, just as He is with the Corinthians. To live in line with this great gift of the Spirit of God that you've been given. You have been given wisdom in the Spirit. Now go and live like it. You've been given insight through Jesus. Now go and allow your life to be changed and made for the better. Because it's available to you. So I think he's wanting us, or I wanted to make sure that we see that in what he's calling us to. Because there's this culminating idea that is seen all throughout Corinthians in this passage as well. And that's that if you believe in the reality of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, if you you really root yourself in it and you say, this is the thing that we will not waver from, this is truth above all truth, this is the thing that we will not walk away from or trade for anything else, then what you believe in is that Jesus gave us a whole new reality and a whole new way of living. And this is what Paul's getting at. You can do all of these other things. That's fine. I think Paul would argue the same that I would argue, that a lot of these things that we pursue and the ways that we think and operate, they're not morally or ethically wrong. A lot of the wisdom of the world and the knowledge of the world, a lot of times there's good in it. But what he wants to make clear in his letter to the Corinthians is that if you believe in Jesus, if you really truly believe that he has been resurrected from the dead, then the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not some moral guide or some ethical boundary markers. The gospel of Jesus Christ is much more than a private recipe for a deep and profound spiritual life. It's more than enlightenment. It's more than good feelings. It's more than fill in the blank of what we oftentimes pursue. But if Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth, died, buried, and resurrected, and ascended to the Father, where He sits at the right hand, and where He will come to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. If this is true as we proclaim it is, then what the good news is, is a whole new proclamation of reality. 
Not just a way of living, but of reality and the world itself. It is all new and different. And Paul is saying, for years, decades, millennia, this has not been readily made available, but in Jesus Christ, this new reality is for all to see and to come and to participate in. Paul wants these people to put flesh and blood on their theology, on their thinking. He wants it to move beyond belief or assent or some like tick mark of a box that says, yeah, 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 we agree that Jesus raised from the dead, but we're still going to live this way. I think we are being invited into that same challenge. We're being invited in to, to follow in these same footsteps that Paul's laying out for the Corinthians. To begin to really truly believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came, walked this earth, and allowed love to conquer all. And as we step into that belief, what we say is that though it may be foolish or folly at times, that means that there is a whole new way of living that exists for us. It does not make us superior or better than anyone else. It does not make us more wise than anyone else because it is not us that is doing this. It is the way of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's animation of us, the gift of the Spirit to us that allows us to see and understand and experience this. The very Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, raising us to live a new life. This is new wineskins. This is new cloth that a patch is being sewed onto. It is a new existence. And we, as those that would call upon the name of Jesus, follow after Him. There is a wisdom in the way of Jesus. There is a way of living and existing that if we think this is true, then we have to give ourselves to it. We have to walk away from the really common ways that we sort of want to mix our own fleshly way of living and existing and say, okay, Lord, my life is yours and it's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to be the wisest, most common sense way of living and existing if we're operating out of what makes our life better. It doesn't make sense for me to do things that don't benefit me. That don't pad what I think is the best way of living unless I believe that there's a new reality and a new existence at hand for all of humanity. That there is a better way that is bigger than what I can see, know, or understand. And here's what I think is interesting. That if we are willing to do this, if we're willing to step into this wise way of Jesus and live to a different kind of wisdom, live to a different kind of way of seeing the world and existing and of being, then for all the problems that we have for the church, with the church and all of the ways that we want to distance ourselves and kind of define ourselves as like not a part of that because like that's not cool or that's not commonly accepted or that's not relevant or whatever it may be, that's outdated, that's misogynistic, what, whatever critiques that we would throw at it. I think if we are willing to live with love supreme and preeminent over all and, and guide us in these conversations rooted in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we individually, we become the best apologetic for the church. 
I think in a city like Birmingham, where churches are everywhere, as people wrestle and doubt and, and question what it means to follow Jesus, you're never going to win someone over with a well-pinned apologetic piece. In fact, I heard a guy joke about this on a podcast the other day, and I thought it was really true. The, those apologetic books mostly are bought and consumed by people that already believe what they're trying to convince you to believe. They're helpful, I guess, from time to time. I like apologetics. It was my entryway into like, more academic reading and, and thought on the church and Christianity. I'm not against them. But they're not for the unbeliever. They're not for a seeking and looking world. That's us. That's the church. It's us living this out, being centered in Christ and saying, no, there is actually a different way of being and existing. Because why would someone read an apologetic about what we believe to then come into a space like this and go, well, y'all are just as crazy as everybody else out there, so why would I deny myself some really fun times in the next 15 years? Why would I change the way I approach my 20s if like, everybody's just going to be the same? If there's no actual fruit of joy, peace, hope, kindness, perseverance, long-suffering, if the fruit of the Spirit's not tangible within you, like, why would I even mess with it? Makes no sense. Sounds really boring. The reality of it is, at times, following Jesus can be really boring. The long-suffering, as Eugene Peterson calls it, the long obedience in the same direction. That's not an exciting way of being. I don't know if that, like, you don't win a lot of people over by standing up and going, hey, I'm going to invite you in to follow Jesus. It's going to be a really long obedience in the same direction. It's not going to be a lot of excitement at times. But if you can say that and invite them into it and you can point and evidence the ways in your life where it is wildly true, where you can go, look, I know it doesn't sound fun, but I can't explain to you that my whole life has changed because I do choose to do this. If you can look at people and go, like, I understand that, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And morally and ethically, you're right. Like, it's totally fine for you to go do whatever it is that you want to do. You're not harming anyone. You're not hurting anyone. But if you will give yourself to Jesus, if you will give yourself to the self-denial and to the way of the cross, then your life will be radically and forever changed. And here are the ways that it has happened in my life. And quite honestly, like, I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor. I spend most of my time beating myself up and looking at all the ways my life is terrible and how I've fallen short of everything that I try to do. But simultaneously, in the same breath, I could back a dump truck up and just unload story after story of the ways that Christ has changed my life for the better. I could stand up here for a very, very long time and point to all the ways that where there was no way, a way magically appeared. I could stand up here and tell you for all of the times that I felt like the promises would never come true, I've held the promises in my hands. Quite literally sometimes. With flesh and blood and tears on their face. I've looked around in this group and I've seen in the spaces and places like this when I felt like this thing was done. We were going to shut it down. And people just showed up because the Lord was active and alive in it. 
In a year like this past year when it felt like that there was no reason to keep doing it, the Lord said, no, I'm in it and I'm with you and I can look around and I can see the promises being delivered. Because we're willing as a community and as a people to commit ourselves to this way of Jesus. And it's difficult at times. And it doesn't always make sense. I could save a lot more money. I could buy a nicer house. I could have more fun. I could do more stuff. I could see more of the world. But I just believe at the very depth of my being that there is something to this. And that the Lord is in it. And this is what Paul is calling the Corinthians to. And I believe that this morning, this is the word that the Lord has for us. Mosaic here in Birmingham. And if you're a visitor, I hope this word's for you too. But I couldn't shake it that it was for us as a community. That it's time for us to mature. That it's time for us to give ourselves to this way of the cross. And to be a little foolish. I'm hitting the, my time goal here, but I'm going to tell this story anyways because I think it's relevant. No one has a timer. I'm the one that times myself. Kyle's like, keep preaching, man. I don't care. And I'm like, Kyle, we got to get sermon shorter. And then I preach for 40 minutes. Kyle's like, you preach longer than me, man. I'm like, I know. Anyways. Anna and I had the chance to go out to Portland last weekend just on a vacation, just the two of us. It was magical. I felt your prayers. I coveted them. It was a really good time for us. We got to go to a church that I've listened to online for a long time, which is an interesting experience. It's kind of like meeting your hero. You just don't know how it's going to go. Like, I've created this whole world of the podcast in my head. And we walk in, and they immediately, like, the worship, like, I can't explain it to you. But, like, there just was an abandonment of self in that worship. And this is to me, and if this is to you, Good, take this critique. Let the Holy Spirit convict you in this moment. But I looked around, and, I, and the whole time you're in Portland, this is not Fox News. This is my uh, non-Fox News loving self there. I played my cards. Um, this is me and my critique of like what this experience of the city was. It is anti, like almost anti-Christian. Like I'm not joking. Like this is not like an overstatement. Like you walk around and, and like it is, there, there is a, a, a tenseness to the city that is like just exists in Portland. There is. And if you've ever been to London or to Paris or Belgium, like these other cities that are like far beyond post-Christian, you've experienced this. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We had a blast and I would go back tomorrow. But like there's this, there's this tenseness. Like you can sense that like you probably don't want to tell someone you are a white middle class male Christian. Like I don't think that conversation would have went super well. In fact, I told one person I was a pastor and we stopped talking. Like, I'm not joking. Like, that's just the way it was, okay? So I can only imagine in a city like that what it's like to step into a worship space and to get to worship. There was a freedom and a borderline recklessness in the way they worshiped. And it overwhelmed me so much that Anna put her hand on me because she thought something was happening. Because I was literally sobbing, like shoulders heaving. Because I was like, I don't worship like this. Because I spend most of my time in this space trying to convince all of you that we are not that church. That we are not one of those Christians. That like we get it, right? Like I'm not one of those people. I actually think for myself. I don't vote that way or whatever it may be. The critiques that I read again and again on Twitter and social media, whatever it may be. Like I spend most of my time going like, I got to make sure everybody understands that like I, I get it. I'm one of you. 
I'm cool. I just also am a Christian. And there was just a freedom in the way they stood in there and worshiped. Because I'm like, they got, you, don't, you don't have to be a Christian in Portland. You, you don't have to go to church. Nobody, in fact, probably does. In fact, you're probably missing out on things by going to church at 11 a.m. in a city that's got a brunch scene that is to die for. Had this uh, pink, anyways. It was, I still think about it. It was so good. Like, that's a choice. And they step in that space and they freely worship. And it was overwhelming and, like, palpable to sense the freedom in singing and worshiping Jesus. A whole bunch of people, like literally, you could, I could take all of you and just put less color and long sleeves on you and you would just drop right into the church. Like it's us, it's our people, young, kids everywhere, and there just was an abandonment in their worship. And they're talking about all the same things from the front that we are. And I just was overwhelmed by the Lord in that moment of like, I want that kind of freedom to worship Like, I want that kind of foolishness. And I just, in being honest in front of all of you now, I have not been foolish for the gospel in a very, very long time. Everything I do is calculated and and measured. And there's an invitation in the gospel that I think just invites us to abandon that from time to time. I'm not going to let go of everything. You guys know me well enough but to accept and live into the freedom that is to just like be a little unwise in the way of Jesus, at least in the way that we would think of it. And to stop asking so many stinking questions all the time. Because the questions are really about me. They're not about theology. They're about the ways I'm changing, not about the way God's changing. They're about the problems that I've experienced, the pain that I've suffered, not that the church has done it to me. Just to be free to trust, to give myself over as a white middle class American male to a brown man that was poor from the middle of nowhere over somewhere in ancient West Eastern Africa, Middle East. And to stop thinking like, is this really just a white religion or am I giving myself over to the Savior and Messiah of the world? And I think if I'm honest with myself and the experiences of my life is that it's the latter. I can't help but think of what it would look like to be a community that just gives ourselves over to that and still cares about the things we care about, that still fights for the things we fight for, that has the conversations that we have, but to do so deadly centered and rooted in the cross of Jesus, as Paul is calling us to. As the band comes up, we'll move into our time of communion. And all the things that I've talked about, what I can't help but think about or uh, reckon with is that in all of this like what I'm talking about what I'm, what I'm processing when I say I've got a truckload of stories what I've got a truckload of is the goodness and the faithfulness of God and I don't know why this has happened to me but in the last few years the Lord has been or really the last few weeks to be completely honest the Lord has been really gracious and some of this has been through conversations with my wife and, and counseling and things like this But to just really begin to start to scratch the surface of the fact that like God really loves me, for me. I've had glimpses of it in moments. I've preached on it before. But it's just this like progressive understanding and trust in the Lord and who he is, his kindness, his goodness, his mercy. 
And that goodness, that promise, we understand it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's an ongoing proclamation as we experience that again and again. And so this morning as we come and we take communion, we're being reminded of the provision of God, that He is faithful to do the thing that He said He would do, that He would promise to do. We are reminded that He is good to forgive us. That He is good to cover our failures and our shortcomings, our brokenness and our flaws. So as you open your cup, take the bread that is the reminder of God's body broken for us and eat. And the cup that is a reminder of God's blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and drink. Amen. The band's going to play two more songs. Now that we don't have mask and social mandate rule or socially distant mandate rules anymore, uh, I'm going to do something that we haven't done in a really long time. I'm just going to invite you, if you want to pray with someone, there'll be a couple of us over here in the back. If following Jesus, giving yourself over to this way of being and existing, if the wise way of Jesus seems like really foreign to you, it's really foreign to me like a lot of Tuesday mornings. Like I just wake up and I'm like, what am I doing? And then I meet with people that are like living their life for Jesus. And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is good. This is good. I needed that story. And so I need you as much as you need me to pray over you. But if you want to pray, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you want to like stand before the Lord and just say, come Holy Spirit, convict, consecrate my heart, I'd love to pray that over you this morning. To allow the Lord to just move in your life. To refine us, to to melt off the dross, to give us the wisdom of the Spirit, to be renewed in it. If you're interested in baptism, we would love to walk through that journey and that process with you. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be laid to death in the old way and raised anew. Giving you new eyes to see, new ears to hear, an ability to peek over the horizon and see the new reality of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do here together. And so we just want to invite you on that journey with us. So stand, sing, process, allow the Lord to speak to you in these moments. And if you want to pray with one of us, come join us over in the corner and we'd love to pray for you. Amen.